0: Praise the Lord, everybody. Glad you're here on this Wednesday evening. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for your worship tonight. Amen, amen, amen. God is good, and good things are happening in the church. Amen. Thankful for the Lord and all that he has been doing and uh, continues to do in the and around the church. Let me get this adjusted just for a moment, please. Excuse me. All right, that's going to be a little better. I'm glad you're here. We started a couple of weeks ago talking about the value of the house of the Lord. How many of you have been here the last two weeks? Been part of a series that I started a couple of weeks ago on the value of the house of the Lord. Tonight I want to pick up uh, with this subject and continue talking about the value of the house of the Lord. Now, I want to be very clear. We have we have taken a lot of focus the last couple of weeks, and lest I be misunderstood in this teaching because we may continue this into next week. Um, next week I intend to maybe make a shift in... Uh, in in what we are talking about, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the place where God, the New Testament place where God dwells, and uh, any of you with any Bible knowledge already see where we're going next week with the value of the house of the Lord or the temple of the Lord. And so, how many of you know your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost? Amen. So you can see where we are headed, where we are going but tonight. I want to continue with the glory of the house of the Lord, the value of the house of the Lord. And uh, I, want to, I want to express tonight some things that will be, taking, be taken both uh, figuratively and literally. Uh, I believe that the house of God ought to be the best place we can possibly make it be. I believe we ought to value the house of the Lord. That's why we ought to value it enough to show up. And we ought to value it enough to take care of it. We ought to value it enough to maintain it. We've been talking about Josiah, and we've been talking about him uh, rebuilding what had, what had decayed. I, I've been doing a little reading on Hezekiah and talked a little bit about that uh, last week. Hezekiah was, uh, was his great-grandfather, uh, Josiah's great-grandfather, And Hezekiah was a rebuilder because he followed some wicked kings and he had to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so uh, not everybody uh, values the house of the Lord. And uh, that's very clear. But God always valued the house of the Lord. And every person that valued the house of the Lord and took care of the things of God and put God first were always blessed in their lives. Their leadership always excelled. They always, they always were accomplishing things uh, in the Scripture. And so, uh, tonight as we begin to look into uh, a little deeper into this, uh, into this subject, God has always been concerned about His house. So much so... That from the very beginning, in the construction of the house of the Lord, if you please, uh, in the construction of the house of the Lord, he gave specific direction on how it should be built. He told them the type of materials to use and how much and, and uh, how it was to be constructed and it was filled with gold and silver and jewels and precious stones and all of these things that made up the house of the Lord. Uh, If we study the tabernacle, and I'm not going to get into that tonight, but if we study the tabernacle in the wilderness, uh, he even gave specifics, and it was, uh, of course, a type and a shadow of the New Testament, and uh, of salvation from the New Testament, and the New Testament church, and the type and shadow of Christ, and the cross, and the blood, and all of these things that comes together. Uh, but we see that God was always so interested that he didn't just let them figure it out on their own. He gave them specific direction. This is how you do it. This is how I want it done. This is how I prefer it to be put together. Now, I I heard somebody today, and it it uh, it was a proper statement, by the way, uh, but I want to be careful with it because it could be taken, uh, somebody could jump on the bandwagon and, and take, it, take it way, way out. They were, they were talking about uh, valuing the fishbowl more than the fish. So when we begin to talk about the house of the Lord, we have to be careful that we don't misconstrue this subject in our mind and begin to value a building more than we value the church because the church is not the building the church he purchased with his own blood the building we purchased with dollar bills but now there is a connection between the building, the house of worship and and God's plan for man to worship, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, We could go through and and talk about all of the, the scriptures that point to our assembling, our gathering, and the valuing of, I believe we ought to value the building where we worship. It doesn't matter if this building sells next month and we have to be transitional until we get the new building finished. It doesn't matter if we go into the high school or the junior high school, a gymnasium, uh, a storefront somewhere. When When we sanctify it as the house of God, we ought to value it as the house of God. You can, you can have church in your living room, but when, when you make that the house of worship, there ought to be something that is different about it in your mind, the way you hold it. Uh, we're getting ready to build a multi-purpose facility. Our, our, we're building for primary uh, terms here, we're building a gymnasium. And it's strategic. We're building a gymnasium because it's the quickest way for us to get built, and it is the cheapest way for us to get built, get moved, get into a facility that is larger and that meets our immediate needs and allows us then to chart the course, to build the the more elaborate, more beautiful, more uh, spacious Uh, main building, the sanctuary and the office complex and nice large foyer and all of these things. And so we are going to sacrifice some things to be able to make a move. But although we walk in and say, you know what, this is where we're going to be doing fish fries. And this is where we're going to have holiday meals. And this is where we're going to come in and play ball. But for a while, it's going to be our house of worship. And we may have to collapse chairs and put tables up and have dinner right in the middle of where we're going to be having worship because we're going to use it as a multi-purpose. We may have dinner there one day and church there the next. But when we assemble as a church to worship, we must value this place as the house of God. Now, let me help you with, what, with my, my train of thought here. We may bounce basketballs and run up and down the court and play volleyball and fall and scream and run and kick and toss and tumble. But when we set that place up for, for worship, the atmosphere ought to shift. This is our house of worship. Now, kids, it's not the time to throw basketballs. And Now, it's the same building, Pastor. That's exactly right. It's, it's the same fishbowl, but we've got to value the place that God has established as worship and to sanctify it as holy unto the Lord. God has always valued his house of worship. Now, let, let me get into this lesson a little, uh, a little bit tonight. Mo- most of us, of course, have, have heard and have read about the building of Solomon's Temple, Uh, Solomon's Temple, there there was nothing like it. Uh, Solomon's Temple was the most magnificent edifice uh, from the exterior to the interior ever built by Israel, and it was built unto the Lord. And that's a term used unto the Lord. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Is it all right for me just to slow down and be real tonight? When we build things unto the Lord, when we do anything unto the Lord, we ought to do it with all all of our soul, mind, and strength. And this, this project that we're doing, you know what? I take pride in it. Not, not fleshly and earthly pride of getting built up and saying, well, look what we're building. But I, I, I take pride in what we're doing because I feel like I'm doing this as unto the Lord. So I'm not interested in, in cutting corners, although the, the budget's very, very slim. That's right, an area of concern. And so we have to be careful in in, in uh, what we're able to do and can't do. But uh, when it comes to my to, to quality and it comes to my workmanship and when it comes to my attitude about it, uh, there's probably nothing worse than than showing up. Uh, let me use this for an example. There's nothing worse than showing up for workday with a bad attitude about being at workday. When we show up, we need to show up with the idea, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. Not for man's glory, but for the glory of the Lord. And so I'm, we're, we're doing this as unto the Lord. This is going to be our house of worship. This is going to be the church. And so everything that happens should be done as unto the Lord. And so when Israel, uh, when Israel began to build and construct Solomon's temple, they built it as unto the Lord. That changes the whole dynamic. Now, if we approach it that, well, we're building a gym so kids can play, and those are good things, so, so we can fellowship, so we can get together and have a dinner. So... But if we're doing it as unto the Lord, it changes the attitude toward the house of the Lord. Now, Several chapters of the Bible Detail the planning, the preparation, and the incredible process of the erecting of this sacred uh, structure. The Bible goes as far as to describe the wealth of the materials used within and out of the temple. And uh, I believe one of the most powerful stories in the Scripture is that of the dedication of the temple. It was an occasion, an occasion that almost defies uh, description when the glory of God appeared. And when the glory of God appeared, it appeared in a cloud so thick, so gloriously that the priest could not even stand to minister. In other words, they fell out. I, I guess that would qualify as a fallout service. And here's something else we have to think about. We refer to this as Solomon's temple. King David, Solomon's father, was actually perhaps the one most deserving and that should have received most of the credit for Solomon's temple. It would have been rightly called David's temple. Solomon was responsible for the the detail of, of the actual... Uh, construction or the work process. But consider this: 1 million and 17 talents of silver was given to the building of the temple. Of the 117,000 talents of silver, David stockpiled a million of those talents of silver. It was a million to 17,000 that Solomon actually stockpiled. Of the 108,000 talents of gold given, 100,000 talents of gold came from David's storehouse. You get where I'm going with this. Making it very obvious that what perhaps today would cost over $8.5 billion, with a B, $8.5 billion dollars in today's currency, that it would have taken to have built this elaborate temple. Literally, the majority of it came from David, Solomon's father. It came from David's storehouse. In addition to the gold and the silver, David stockpiled all of the raw materials for the construction and the building of the temple. The cedars were from Lebanon, and the stones were from the local quarries. And it, it took 10,000 men 11 years just to cut the wood for the temple. Think about that. Everyone say preparation. Everyone say planning. These are things that went into this temple, this house of worship. Preparation planning the labor 11 years they work just cutting the wood and preparing and getting ready anybody starting to feel better about our building project that's the hard part it's the investment that is often forgotten in the process of establishing anything that is worthwhile in the kingdom of god it is the preparation It is the process, it is the hard work and the labor and the planning that goes in. Now press on a few chapters into your Bible and David is in the grave, his son Solomon is king and Solomon builds the temple from David's stockpiles and when it was erected it seems that it was the smoothest building program in history. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 6 declares it and says that when the building was built every stone was made ready before it was ever brought in. So that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool nor iron heard in the house while it was being built. Sears really didn't invent the idea of the ready made building. Everything was brought into where not even the sound of a hammer rang in the construction. I, I can't imagine. It was amazing. The planning and the preparation that went into this, everything seemed to just fall into place. But I would submit to you this evening that when things fall into place, it's not, it, it's not nearly as easy as what it appears to be. Because when things just fall into place, it is because somebody was planning and preparing and getting ready well in advance in days gone by. Without David's investment into the future, Solomon's name would have been scarcely more than a footnote in sacred history. But because of David, his father's investment into the things of God... Solomon's life was made infinitely easier because of his father's investment. The overwhelming task of building this glorious house for God's presence was made possible because David, because Solomon had a father named David that had the foresight to put something in store for his son's future. This is why that we must look and understand, I believe the Lord's going to come in our lifetime. But should the Lord not come in our lifetime, we need to ensure that we are building a church for the future. And I'm not talking about a building here. That we are building a church that is going to go on into the future. I've heard people say, well, it doesn't matter what happens after I'm gone. It doesn't matter what happens. You knew do what you want to once I'm gone. But as long as I'm here, as long as I'm alive, that's the wrong attitude about the things of God. I'm still a little shocked and a little in awe and not really sure what transpired and what happened on Sunday night physically to me as I was on this platform, but it was a wake-up call because for just a moment i i thought that i was perhaps first thought perhaps i was having a stroke and then i questioned if it was an aneurysm i had about 3 or 5 seconds to think about it i tried to communicate with my son to pray for me i looked at brother mike brooks knew he had medical experience I began to try to tell him what was going on and he said to me, I have no idea what that you said. Uh, He later was telling me, he said, whatever was coming out of your mouth was gibberish. And he said, the next thing I knew, he said, I saw you go limp and you were kind of laying over on me at that point. The next thing I remember is when I was being lifted up off the, off the floor and gentry's yelling in my ear, is the pain gone? I thought all of that happened in about a 10 second period of time. My wife said that there was about 10 or 12 or 15 minutes that happened during that time. I'm not sure what happened with excruciating pain in the back of my head. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Had a headache, uh, came back a little bit that night and through Monday Yesterday felt as good as I've ever felt. Today felt wonderful. And I believe that God touched me physically. But it was a wake up call to me at how quick it could have been something else. Thank God it wasn't. Some of you might have gotten your hopes. I'm just kidding. Be easy, be easy. It could have been something else. It could have been final. It could have been something that was life-ending. It could have been, and I have to stop and ask myself, what am I doing every day? I care about the kind of church my kids are going to be part of. I care about the doctrine that's being preached. I, I, I really care about the direction this church is going when it comes to separation from the world and holiness. I genuinely care about the attitude toward praise and worship. I care about the attitude toward sacrifice and faithfulness. All of these things matter to me. It's more than just a microphone and an opportunity to stand up here and to talk to you. And I thank God for the, for the privilege of being able to preach to you. But I am going to say to you that sometimes I wish it was somebody else. I've been at this long enough that I get tired of hearing my own voice sometimes. I heard some of you just whisper, we do too. And that's okay, because I, I agree with you. But this is way more important than an opportunity to be able to stand up here and speak. This is about what we are building for the future. And it's much more broad than just me and mine. It's broad. I thank God. You know what makes this worthwhile? It's when I when I saw Brother Nick come in, walk around in front of me. I didn't I didn't get to speak to you, but hello, I'm glad you made it back to church. <laughs> He'd been laying out of church and, and no, he's been going to church with his uncle, and we're glad he's in church. But you know what makes this worthwhile? It's when you see people like Nick that come in and turn their life around. Yeah. And the struggles and the hardships and the difficulties. It's when you see a family that's going through hardship and dealing with things. It makes all of the, 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 the noise and all the junk that you deal with as a, in, in, in life. It makes it all worthwhile when you see somebody's life put back together. When you see somebody who was broken, healed. When you see a family that was being destroyed by Satan come back together. When you see a lost soul that is that that comes back. When you see a young lady baptized in Jesus' name. The last two weeks, two people, somebody every Sunday night for the last two or three weeks has been receiving the Holy Ghost. One baptized uh, Sunday before last. This is what it's all about. We're going the right direction. We're building a church for the kingdom of God so all of our giving yes we're giving to a building because we've outgrown this one yes we're giving to a building but we're giving is unto the Lord because our work and our labor and everything we're doing it's not about a fishbowl that building is just the place to worship thank God for thank God for youthful vision One of my boys here a few days ago was saying something to me and said, well, it's too bad they're building that, uh, that Trilogy Healthcare next to us because that was direction I was thinking we probably are going to have to build. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to buy all these houses over here next door and wipe out all those trees so we can build over here. Thank God for somebody that says, hey... You know what? God's blessed us with what we have. We don't even have this built yet, but we're looking to the future. If God tarries, we're growing a church. We're building a church for the kingdom of God. I'm not about polishing fish tanks and seeing who can have the nicest fish tank. I'm interested in souls and growing for the kingdom of God. And I want to build a church that is designed by God, that is Jesus' name, apostolic. If I have to throw in the towel for everything I've preached and believed my entire life, if I have to throw it all in just to get numbers, God forbid. I would rather be in a storefront preaching the truth. Well, I feel like preaching. It was David's investment into the future that made possible what Solomon was able to do. Our bishop's not here tonight. I wish he was because I'd like to brag on him a little bit to his face. But if it had not been for his sacrifice for 38 years of hewing this church out of from under an oak tree in a front porch and a living room. in the early formidable days, and I looked back and saw some of the records, some of the history books when I first came here as pastor, and I looked through some of those and saw 17 and 27 and 35 and 60 and 50 and 40 and 60 and 80 and back to 40 and thinking, boy, that must have been disheartening. Those are tough years, working every day, trying to support your family to build a church. I'm blessed and you're blessed because a lot of us are here enjoying what God is doing in Frankfurt and in Christian Life Church, but we had nothing to do with those formidable years when this church was being hewn out of nothing being built by God himself, 50 years of history has brought us to where we are. I thank God for your investment. I thank God for your family, for our elders. And we may not hear from them. I don't think we hear from them nearly enough. But thank God for our elders that have stood strong in the faith. And when trouble have co- has come, they have stood on the side of right and righteousness and stood with the ministry and stood with the church. People that are always trying to tear down the church... Tear down what God is doing, ignore them. They won't be there when trouble times come. But sometimes it's those that you may not hear so much from that when trouble comes, rise to the occasion and say, we're, we're building a church for the kingdom of God. And this is bigger than we are, and we're going to remain steadfast and true and faithful. Thank God for David's that invest into Solomon's future. Solomon now gets all the accolades, but if it hadn't have been for a David, there would have never been a Solomon's temple. I'm glad our young people are in here tonight. A few are. I'm glad you're in here tonight because I want you to hear this. Don't ever look at your elder and think, well, they're washed up and done with and done for. Never, 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 never. We wouldn't be where we are. And you know what? My kids are going to do more than I've ever done, and I thank God for it. You know why? Because they're building off of the foundation that I have laid for them in their life. You are building on on these elders. Our our youth group is building on on our elders. I said to, to, to Brother Newcomer a few days ago when I was talking to he and Sister Ashley, I said to them, I feel like there's a great revival coming to our youth. And you know why? Because there's a great foundation of elders that have built something for our youth to launch on. Thank God for people that invest into the future. So I ask you, how how valuable is the house of God to you? How valuable is is having a place that you can come to worship in peace and harmony? I, I remember the day, and I don't want to get, I don't want to come across arrogant. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to come across um, uh, smart in any way. I come across as humble as I possibly can. But I have learned a few things in my 47 years of living. I've learned a few things being raised in a pastor's home, spending my entire life, been in ministry myself since I was 19. I've learned a few things over the years. And what I have learned over the years is that the church will always prevail. When people begin to bet against the church, they're they're losing that bet. Because even the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church may take some battles, may have some battle scars, and the church may have some ups and downs and people may, may cause the church to have a hiccup from time to time. And, and churches may go through difficulties and struggles. But I believe a church that is designed by God is, is, is created by God to be able to weather any storm and every storm that comes its way. Don't ever be guilty of getting caught up in some sort of, of um, uh, problem that is against the church. If leadership and authority is unbiblical and out of sorts, the Bible says this is how it's to be dealt with. If I get unbiblical, if, 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 my, if my morals or my ethics... Or my doctrine is unbiblical, and I get out of sorts. There is a board of elders in this church that I am submitted to, and they can come to me and sit down and talk with me, and 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 correct me. And if if need be, so I'll be glad to hand the microphone to somebody else and step back if I get out of line. And I am submitted to them. I have elders that are not in this church, ministers, pastors, elders that I am submitted to that can speak into my life. That that I I uh, hold I hold them in esteem, and I am accountable to them, and they have the ability to speak into my life. I don't ever want to come across in some way arrogant or, 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 or a smart aleck or anything of the sort, but I will tell you this much, that when people come in the church and their motive is to tear down what God is doing be it physically, be it tearing a saint down, be it tearing a brother or sister down, be it tearing leadership down. This is one of the things I've learned over the years. It's better off for them to move on down the road. Because all you got to do is throw one bad apple in the apple cart. Mm. You were about to shout with me a few minutes ago. And when that spirit rises up, oh, believe me, I may walk around with a day's look on my face, but I've got it pinpointed. <laughs> I know where it's at. Sometimes I look it right in the eye. <laughs> That's, you're right. You're right. You got it. Gift of discernment, Sister Fair. <laughs> It's people that didn't they didn't pay for the church. They didn't build the church. They don't have a history of labor with the church. Matter of fact, somebody said to me one time, and I found this to be true, you want to know who loves the church? Go look in their checkbook. That's a good example of how people feel about the church. People who are givers, people who are laborers and workers, People who are faithful, look at their calendar and see what the most important things on their calendar is. And you're gonna find out who really loves the church, who's really sold out to the church. Now, I'm not here tonight, I'm not here tonight to grind axes with anyone. But I am here tonight to tell you that if you're not in love with God's church, you're not in love with God. Because his church is his bride that he purchased with his own blood. And he is engaged to the church because he promised, I'm going to come back for a bride that has made herself ready. Without spot and without blemish. And when you become critical of a groom's bride, there is going to be an issue. I'm not the groom. I'm just, I'm the under-shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. I am the under-shepherd. But my job in the church as a pastor is to go about the administrative duties of the church. To teach, to preach, to counsel, to pray, to do the work of ministry, to encourage, to exhort, to reprove, to rebuke. Hate that part. It comes with the territory. And I've said this, and many of you have heard me say this. But I take it a personal responsibility for this assembly. I may not have a whole lot of weight in in the in, in an organization or in a movement, but for this church, God has put me here. And as the under shepherd, it is my job to ensure. That the wolves aren't taking over. And that this is a place where the sheep can be fed in green pastures and drink from cool waters, living waters, and a place of safety and a place to grow. That's my job as a pastor. So if you see and you think, oh boy, I don't know why pastor's preaching and teaching the way he is. Because sometimes... I'm trying to point the wolves out. And you've got to listen to a sermon with your eyes open and your ears open and understand that they destroyed the last place they were and they destroy here, they'll destroy the next place they go. Because they're a wolf. And sometimes in sheep's clothing. So it's very important that we recognize the purpose. I wouldn't hurt anybody for anything in the world. My goodness gracious, this job doesn't pay enough to deal with the stress and frustration. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm here to grow people. We had some time in planning for our future for next year. One of my pre-planning planning sessions. And we're talking about next year and talk about where we're growing and going and what's happening. And we talked about, I, I should just hand the microphone to Sister Cheryl today and let her let her look back through her notes and, and share with you some of the things we talked about. Because it's about growing people, developing people, discipling new converts. This is the purpose and the reason for the church. Get your eye off of everybody else. Get your eye off of everything else. Get your focus on Him and on what He's doing. I do believe He's coming as soon. But if He doesn't come for another 50 years, we've got to keep building the church, working in the church, laboring in the church, fall in love with the church. This is God's people. You know, social media gets filled up with all these apocalypses that are coming. We've had a zombie apocalypse. We've had We've had every kind of apocalypse you can imagine, but I'm going to tell you this much, every one of them, I give you an answer for them. If they if, if any of them ever happen to show up and actually happen, you know where I want to be? With God's people. I want to be in the church. Because when it all comes down to it, and we we often all say this and, and it's true. It's true that family Family is so important, and and often, and it's a common statement that's made by all of us, and I I say it too, there's nothing more important than family. And and it's very, very, that's true, we need to invest in our families. But the church is my family. And until you give me a reason not to trust you, I trust you. Please don't give me a reason not to trust you, because I want to trust you. And I want you to be able to trust me because we are family and we are working together and we are laboring together and we're in this thing together. And when it all comes down to it, when the world falls apart, you know who's going to be standing with you? It's going to be your family. It's going to be your brothers and sisters in the house of God, people of like precious faith that says, when you're down, I'm going to encourage you and lift you up. When you're hurting, I'm going to speak an encouraging word to you. I'm going to be strength to you. When it really all comes down to it, I was talking to a young man the other day that's chosen to go his own way in life, and it's a really bad, wrong way. And I looked at him the other day, and I said to him, let me tell you something, friend. You know it as well as I know it, that when all of your so-called friends turn their back on you, you know one phone number that you probably still have on speed dial, because when it comes down to it, there is one person that you know you can call. He's a rebel. He don't give a dollar to the church. He's turned his back on me, hurt me in so many ways that you couldn't possibly imagine. But the pastor in me keeps reaching for him and keeps loving him and keeps trying to get him to straighten his life up and get back in church and live for God and serve the Lord. You know why? Because I know that he has. He, he, there's some good under all that bad. And my goodness gracious, if the church goes out of its way to go out to that one lost sheep trying to reach and bring them back, do you think we ought to try to push people out of the church? You think we ought to try to discourage somebody that is doing a good job, somebody that is working, somebody that is laboring? Absolutely not. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. Say an encouraging word. You know I preach against Facebook often because it's of the devil, I tell you. And I'm on it. It's like every other medium. It's, it's got the potential to be good and the potential to be evil. And if we're not careful, our good can become evil. That's why we got to be very, very careful because it's open to the world things we post, the things we say, sometimes we may mean nothing of it, but we can post certain things and it you don't know what somebody else is going through, but they take it as a slam at them and they get hurt by it because you make some comment or some post and they think it's about them and you didn't even know that they, you didn't even know they were watching your, your, your posts. We have to be careful, encourage one another in everything that we do. And if you do those things intentional and you use it as an opportunity to slip in the back door and be sneaky about giving correction to the pastor over Facebook, the wolf's barking again. And it happens. Don't be guilty of that junk. Don't, don't get caught up in that. There's people in this church that are laboring, that are working that are serving, thank them, encourage them. I I have been so moved over the last month at at, at our work days. My goodness, they just take all of my time away. They get up there and sing the whole night. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting long-winded in my old age. I've been so moved by watching men and women that showing up. We've had work days with 50 people, 53 people, 51, 35, 36. Men go out and work eight, nine hours, ten hours. They still come out on Tuesday night and show up to work night and still work. Do whatever they can do. Drag home. Their only day off all week Saturday. They show up, show up early work all day 8 hours 10 hours last saturday i think might have been 12 hours saturday before last i think most of them been in this church went kind of we were kind of on our way to the car and we were kind of walking like <laughs> folks came into church folks came into church on sunday Muscle sore and tired, weary. Well, Pastor, I'd have been there, but I've got this going and that going. Nobody's begging, but you know what you can do. Brother Ron came to me last Sunday. I love you, buddy. Good guy right here. Brother Ron came to me last Sunday. Said, Pastor, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for, Brother Ron? He said, because I can't work like I used to. He said, I give it about half a day out there at work day and I have to sit down and I feel bad for just sitting there watching everybody work. Thank you for showing up, Brother Ron. And that touched my heart that you're sincere enough and love the work of God enough that you show up and give whatever you got to do whatever you can. Thank you for showing up to work day. Thank you for giving what you got. Because you know what? Just being there is an encouragement to people. Like Brother Newcomer said Sunday night, You know what? Stop in. Maybe you have to work on Saturday. You got busy schedules. You got birthdays and anniversaries and all kind of things that goes on. None of us can be there every week. Stop in and just say an encouraging word. Catch somebody here at church on Sunday and say, you know what? You're doing a good job. Thank you. Keep going. God bless you. The worst thing that can happen is for there to be discouragement that oozes from us because the church I'm not talking about the fishbowl here. I'm talking about the church. Is the most important thing in your life. Because when all the money's gone and all the friends are gone and everything's gone, let me tell you where it's all going to come down to. What did I do for the Lord? What did I do for the people of God? And when we get to heaven... And somebody comes by and says, you know what? It was your encouraging word that kept me going. It was what you said. I looked through my list a few weeks ago of elders in my life that affected me so deeply. I went back to men I call their name. You wouldn't know them. They've never preached a sermon probably never served in any capacity. I don't recall them hardly ever being on the platform if they were ever on the platform. But I remember men that I never even knew the first name. All I knew them by was brother. I remember Brother McFarland. Not the Indiana Brother McFarland. Brother McFarland from Southeast Texas. I remember when I was just a kid, him coming to the, to the altar Kneeling down, spending time praying with me until I prayed through. I remember him, when I was 12 and 13 years old, he'd bring his grandson to church. And he'd say, you want to come over? We'll make some ice cream. That's You know, that always gets me. (laughs) We'll make some ice cream. You and my grandson can go fishing down at the pond. Boy, he just made a preacher's kid's day. 12, 13 years old, Sunday afternoon, fishing and ice cream. What's better than that? But The things I remember the most were the experiences that I had at the altar with an elder that was hands-on, praying in my ear, telling me, you can do this. You can do this. You live for God, young man. You serve the Lord. You follow in the path of righteousness. I thought he was old. He's probably 47. (laughs) He's gone now. We have a responsibility. Man, I don't know how I ended up so emotional tonight. We have a responsibility. What, What does the church mean to you and what does the future mean to you? I know we have youth in here tonight, but look around you and ask yourself, what would I do? To prevent a young person from leaving the church and backsliding, going out. What would I do to encourage a family to keep them from getting discouraged and walking away from God? What would I do? Is it too much to say, hey, let's let's get together for coffee. Let's go out to lunch. Let's Let's get together after Sunday school or after Sunday night. Is it too much to ask, what's the church worth? Because when you invest in people, there's going to be a day that you're going to need somebody. And you know who's going to be invested in you? It's going to be the people that remember that you invested in them. I'm going to close with this. The John reading said to me last week, we were together. And he said to me, well, as a matter of fact, it was last Friday night after our children's ministry uh, prayer training. We went out to dinner. We were sitting in Applebee's. He said, I've made it a point. He said, I'm reaching a point in my life. We were talking about where we are in life. And the feelings of effectiveness or the lack thereof. He said, I've got young ministers that I'm connected with. He said, I, I go out of my way. He started sharing with me. He said, I drove over to Illinois. Brother Andrew Romine, he's preached here in our pulpit. Brother Andrew Romine elected a new pastor over in Illinois. He said, I went over there. I was there for his, I was there for his installation service. Talked about another. Another young man, his father passed away. He said three of us got together and we drove clear to Arkansas to be to be at uh, his father's funeral. And another young young minister drove all the way to Minnesota to be at his father's funeral. He said, "I people say, man, are you guys that good of friends? He said, nope, not yet. But he said, one day I'm going to be an old man and I'm not going to be pastoring anymore. And Church is going to be going on, and somebody's going to be changing my diapers. And and he said, you know who's going to stop by and see me and encourage me? It's going to be the young people that I've invested into their life that remember what I did to help them and to strengthen them. What's the church worth to you? And What's the future worth to you? Man, I have barely scratched the surface of what I really wanted to talk about tonight. You've got to come back next Wednesday to hear the rest. Let's stand together. Lord, help us, impress upon us the importance of your house, of your people. Lord, that we not focus as we are teaching and talking about the house of the Lord. That Lord, everything is not about the building, O oh Lord, but it is about the people of the building. It is about the God of the building. Lord, that this is about a place that we come together to worship by your design, by by, by your direction, with what you are doing and performing in our life. Lord, we love you and thank you. Thank you for this wonderful church, for these good people. Bless everyone. Keep us, Lord, through this upcoming holiday weekend.